This is Ria. Welcome to Little Stories for Tiny People. If you are new to the podcast, welcome, by the way. You might want to go back and listen to a story from a while ago called Frog and Salamander before listening to this story. It'll give you the backstory on our characters. I do not have a guest today, and I turned off my email notifications. We have a story to get to, and it's a bit lengthy, so we're going to jump right in. It's called Frog and Salamander Return. Take it away, Camden. Remember, there are no pictures. You have to imagine the pictures in your mind. You can imagine them however you want. Okay, here we go. Frog stopped typing, leaned back, and allowed a satisfied grin to ripen on his face. He was perched on a rock, jutting out from the bank of Wormley Pond. It was the edge of winter, and the temperature was dropping each day. Frog felt perfectly warm. He had just finished his masterpiece. Frog was a writer, and a fairly good one at that. His first novel, The Snail and the Sea, was well-received by Wormley Pond's most esteemed book reviewers. It had been a book club choice for many of the area book clubs, and it was even the subject of a heated debate on the local radio station. The ending is intentionally vague, but my interpretation is that Snail made it to the sea in the end because of the way the author uses the word salt in the final passage. Francis, that is a total and complete misreading of the ending. The Snail never makes it to the sea. We know this by the way the author... But that was years ago now, and... Well, you know how things go. The snail and the sea had been forgotten by all except its biggest admirers. Snails, of course. Frog had been approached by many of them over the years. But the number of adoring snails had dropped off. And in the years since, Frog had struggled to complete a new book of the same caliber. That was about to change. Looking down at the crisp stack of text-filled pages next to his typewriter, Frog knew he was on the cusp of making it big. He could nearly taste it, and it tasted like an ice-cold flysicle on a summer afternoon. This new book would be Frog's magnum opus, The Pinnacle of his literary career. Frog felt a cloud of calm wash over him as he soaked up the sun. His mind began to wander. He couldn't help himself. His thoughts went to the success that was sure to be just around the bend. Soon enough, Frog would be winning awards. And the award goes to... 
frog. Giving speeches. Please, please, you can applaud me at the end. And being featured on the local news radio channel. I'm Martha Malamar, and this is Books, Bugs, and Boulders. Joining us today is Wormley Pond's own internationally best-selling author, Frog, here to discuss his wildly popular new book that is flying off the shelves like beetles off the back of a moose. Frog had never been so at peace. It felt as though he were floating high above Wormley Pond, sailing on the breeze. He forgot everything else as he slipped into a state of complete serenity. And there he remained, sunning himself on the giant rock, his life's work beside him, his future stretched out before him. Until a potent gust of wind arose from the east. A twig struck Frog in the face. Ouch! Frog was momentarily blinded as he wiped the twig from his brow. He felt the cool wind whip around him, and he heard the rustling of papers. Frog looked down and saw several pages of his manuscript swirling upwards into the wind. Ah! No! Frog leapt up, hopping awkwardly. He grabbed at the pages, but the wind swept them skyward in a tight spiral. Frog glanced back at the boulder and was glad to see the bulk of his manuscript still pinned under a hefty stone. He dashed after the airborne pages of his book, hopping madly through the tall grass on the banks of Wormley Pond. A large snail emerged from the tall pond grass, its eyes blinking at the ends of the two tentacles reaching out from its head. Oh, hello, the snail said. Frog glanced down at the snail. Uh, hi. Oh, I know you. Oh, yeah? You wrote the snail and the ocean. The sea, Frog muttered as he continued his frantic hops. Excuse me? The snail in the sea, Frog said, not looking at the snail. That's right, the sea. I loved it. Really good book. (sighs) Thank you, Frog said, breathless from his hopping. The pages were out of reach. He watched as they lifted higher and higher into the wind, and eventually, out of sight, he sank to the ground, panting. The snail peered at Frog. Do you have any other books? I'm between books right now. Actually, Frog said, his breathing shallow. I will soon. I just finished a new manuscript. It's due to my agent tomorrow, in fact. Of course, I'll have to retype those lost pages. Frog finally looked at the snail with interest. So he lost a few pages of his manuscript. Before him was a reader a real fan of his work, a future reader of his new book. Thank you for your kind words about my book. I appreciate that. The snail nodded. How'd you like to see where I've written my latest book? Frog said, unable to repress the thought that perhaps, someday, the rock he'd used as an office these last few months 
could be made famous by his book. The snail smiled, and Frog hopped slowly back towards the rock, chatting with the snail as they went. No, it's not about a snail this time. It stars a toad, a very winsome toad. Frog glanced over his shoulder as he talked to the snail. When the toad is out one day, he is suddenly surrounded by... Goats! The snail shouted. Frog's brow wrinkled in amused confusion. (laughs) No, not goats, though that would be entertaining. Goats! The snail shouted once more. Frog followed the snail's gaze until his eyes, indeed, settled on a trio of goats. They were standing beside his rock, the one where he'd sat, hunched over his typewriter, bringing his tour de force into being. And they were chewing. Frog bolted towards the goats. Stop! That's my book! The goats widened their big, strange eyes and blinked slowly at Frog. They continued chewing. Tattered scraps of paper fell from their mouths. Frog grabbed at a goat whose cheeks looked like they could burst from fullness. Spit that out! You are ruining everything! Frog shouted as he shook the goat. The goat spat out a large wad of paper. Frog caught it and tried to open it up, flatten the pages, but there were no pages. It was a clump of paper goo. The words had all run together, dribbling across the goo in faint ribbons of gray. Frog's manuscript was gone. All that was left was the hefty stone that had pinned it down. One of the goats stretched out its neck and bit into the stone, lifting it into its mouth. Have you ever wanted to undo a moment? Just click delete and go back in time? Swap one split-second decision with another? Frog desperately wanted to undo the last three minutes of his life. It was an excruciating feeling. But just as there is no undo key on Frog's beloved typewriter, there is no undo key in life. The little telephone Frog had installed on the boulder began to ring. The snail glanced up at it quizzically. Frog made no move to answer it. It clicked over to voicemail. Frog, it's Trish. Trish was Frog's book agent. Frog, I've told my assistant, Sinclair, to drop by your office tomorrow to pick up the manuscript. I simply cannot wait to read it. Oh, and I've arranged for an interview on Boulder's Books and Bugs. Or is it Bugs, Boulders, and Books? Frog felt his legs give out. Everything went dark. Frog? Frog. Frog blinked lightly, and the harsh, late afternoon sunlight made his vision swim. 
He closed his eyes, having no intention of facing the sun. His head ached. He was dimly aware that something terrible had happened. Frog, are you okay? Frog felt himself being nudged. He blinked his eyes open and was grateful that a large snail was standing over him, backlit, shielding him from the sun. Huh? Frog, I'm so glad you're okay. You fainted. Fainted? Frog turned his head and saw a tattered scrap of paper wedged between two blades of tall grass nearby. Paper, goats, manuscript, everything flooded back into Frog's brain. He sat up abruptly, knocking the snail over. Oof! Sorry, Frog muttered. He leapt to his feet, his eyes darting to the tall grass, the gray sky, the flat spot on the enormous boulder where he'd written the greatest work of his career. The beautiful day had soured. The sun was much too harsh, casting a sharpness over everything. The air had cooled, and a wet chill seemed to penetrate Frog's little bones. Frog could often survey a landscape and have a single word drop into his brain, the perfect word to describe his surroundings. Earlier in the day, when Frog had his manuscript tucked beside him on the plateau of the boulder, that word was serenity. Now, the only word that came to him was desolation. Frog was vaguely aware of the snail sliding towards him. I found something. She had a piece of paper in her mouth. It was the acknowledgments page of his book, the one that was no longer a book at all. Frog read through the page, a list of gratitudes for all the pond creatures who had helped Frog bring his book into being. It was written in a wry, humorous, and, this dawned on him only now, a rather self-important tone. As if the success of the book was a foregone conclusion, Frog felt a knot in his throat, shame and embarrassment, so flooding his system he could scarcely breathe. He heard the snail speaking, but she sounded far away. Well, you have another copy, right? The snail was peering at him, her eye tentacles trying to meet Frog's gaze. But his eyes were fixed on the pond. He watched as a bird dropped something into the water, instantly rupturing the stillness of the surface, sending ripples outward in concentric circles. That was your only copy? Frog, his limbs lead weights and his head developing a dull ache, muttered to the snail, I've gotta go. And ambled away through the pond grass. Who doesn't make a copy of their book? Frog once had a small radio he carried with him wherever he went. After realizing that his radio, with its constant updates about the goings-on of the residents of Wormley Pond, was keeping him 
from living his own life, Frog abandoned it beneath a tree. That was two years ago. The last two years had been blissfully quiet. Without all the nonsense that came with the radio, Frog had finally been able to focus. But leaving the radio beneath the tree was not the only reason a world of focus had opened up to him. He had left something else beneath that tree, something that did not take batteries. On that early spring day, he had left the part of himself that cared so deeply about how he measured up to everyone else. It was his pride, his self-importance, his ego. It had controlled him, distracted him, and robbed him of his focus. Setting his ego beneath that tree alongside his radio, that is what freed Frog. That is what had truly allowed him to block out the nonsense of the world around him. Because in truth, things never really got quieter. Just because Frog didn't have a radio, it didn't change the fact that everyone around him did. Moose, rabbits, toads, turtles, snails, everyone had a radio these days. They kept them on little belts around their waists. Those without waists had special sticky tabs that kept them in place. As Frog made his way through the world, he passed by animals every few moments with radios on their hips. But our brains, yours, mine, and Frog's, make quick decisions about what to attend to and what to ignore. Once Frog relinquished his ego beneath that tree, his mind shifted. As he made his way around Wormley Pond, he didn't hear the radios he passed. He simply didn't hear them. But after finishing his manuscript and feeling a rush of pride and, yes, self-importance, and then, after losing his manuscript to three goats, Frog did not rush out to buy a new radio. But he did let his ego rush back to him. As Frog hopped aimlessly through the pond grass, the outside world, with all of its nonsense, came flooding in. I'm Martha Malamar, and today on Books, Bugs, and Boulders, we have the pleasure of welcoming Layla, the frog in the blue hat, Wormley Pond's newest best-selling author, who has just released the So is the band, formerly known as the Wormy Wonders, now known as the Whimsical Worms, performing Rotten Apple Disco. Next up, we'll talk to a snail who says she witnessed a herd of goats. Frog hopped through the tall grass, darting away from oncoming creatures, their radios blaring at him. And the winning number is 4759021782. That was 476. Oh, excuse me. 
Frog put up his front feet to cover his ears. Wait, frogs don't have ears. Frog put up his front feet to cover his tympana. There we go. Frog had no ears and no plan and nowhere to go. He stopped hopping through the grass. What was the point? And settled himself at the base of a pine tree. He began to wallow. His manuscript was gone. His book agent was expecting it tomorrow. The chilly wind whipped around the pond. The temperature dipped. Frog huddled himself into a little bundle beneath the pine tree. It dawned on him that everyone would find out what had happened. Salamander would find out what had happened. He imagined Salamander's reaction. Now, Salamander, Frog claims to have written a masterpiece. It's impossible to verify this claim as he says it's been eaten by goats. And there is just one witness, a snail whose story has varied considerably depending on the interviewer. What do you make of this? Have you ever lost a complete manuscript to goats? I doubt goats would eat a manuscript of mine. I've gained quite a loyal following of them since my celebrated novel, Goats in the Morning. It's one of my favorites. Is it? But to the deeper question, have I ever lost a manuscript? What is this, 1703? No. But I have tossed out a completed masterpiece. I mean, manuscript, when it didn't meet my exacting standards. At times, you must be honest with yourself and destroy. Ugh. Frog sighed and tried to shove the thoughts away. As the wind swirled around him, he pulled himself into a tighter and tighter bundle He wanted to be as small as possible. He wanted to shrink into a miniature version of himself. He wanted, all of a sudden, Frog felt an iciness envelop him, and he froze. We interrupt this story for an important announcement. I just realized I've done it again. I didn't really provide enough build-up to that last revelation. Okay, so for those who have forgotten, or for those of you who did not follow my advice to listen to the other frog and salamander story first, I should explain. All right, so frog, he is an Alaskan wood frog. And Alaskan wood frogs do something very unusual when winter comes. They freeze. Literally. Don't worry. They thaw out in spring. Now, back to our regularly scheduled program. Frog froze. And this time, instead of feeling trapped, he felt relieved. He had the ultimate excuse to do nothing at all. The early weeks of winter 
were fiercer than any frog had experienced. The wind was relentless. Beneath the pine tree, Frog was encased in a chilly fortress. Massive icicles stretched down from the tree limbs, cocooning Frog inside. Then, all at once, the wind stopped blowing, as if someone had shut an enormous window, locking it out. Without the howling of the wind, Frog could once again hear murmurings from the radios. With great effort, he blocked them out. During his winter freeze two years earlier, Frog had let his imagination go wild. This time, he forced his mind to go blank. He descended into a frigid oblivion. Despite the never-ending cycle of the seasons, winter always tricked the pond creatures, convincing them with its seriousness and its depth that it alone would stop the cycle. But, as it did every year, the wheel of pond life continued to turn Spring arrived like a familiar friend. The sky itself was born anew, casting off its dark veil in the course of a day. Intrepid flowers poked their stems above the frosty soil like explorers forging their way to a mountain's peak. Baby animals stumbled into the world Awkward on their brand new limbs. And what of our friend Frog? Where was he? Frog remained, huddled beneath the pine tree. The massive icicles had been reduced to delicate spindles. Frog unfroze. And yet, for the first time in his life, he did not want spring. Spring meant Frog no longer had any excuses. It meant Frog had work to do, and that he could not accept. As life flourished all around him, Frog remained content to extend his own winter. Until one day, a familiar face emerged from the tall pond grass that swayed in the warm breeze. The once imposing icicles are now gossamer threads fraying in the... It was Salamander. He was recording notes on his dictaphone. The pine tree genuflects its damp spring boughs, inviting hay. Wait a minute. Wait just a minute. I know you, Salamander said, peering at Frog. You're Frog, aren't you? Frog could barely breathe. Did Salamander actually remember him? 
an icicle fell on Frog's head. Ouch! He put a foot to the knot forming up there, and he tried to collect himself. Salamander was still peering at him, waiting for a reply. Finally, Frog managed to say, uh, Yes, I- I'm Frog. I knew it. I knew it was you. You wrote the shrimp in the lake. Frog couldn't help but laugh. <laughs> the, the snail and the sea. That's right. That is right. Salamander stroked his chin, thinking, I heard about your new book. Frog sighed. In all likelihood, everyone had heard about his lost book. I can't wait to read it. Frog thought he'd misheard. I'm not sure your agent's been talking nonstop about how it's going to be the next big thing. Frog blinked. His brain, addled by months of inactivity, struggled to make sense of Salamander's words. She said it would be ready by midsummer. As I said, I can't wait to read it. All right, well, good to see you, Freg. And with that, Salamander strode off into the pond grass, humming as he went. <laughs> Frog had to remind himself he was no longer frozen in place. He watched as Salamander's tail disappeared into the foliage, his words ringing in Frog's tympana. Your agent's been talking nonstop about how it's going to be the... Frog made his way in the direction of the pond. As he hopped, stretching the last of winter out of his legs... He knew he was out of excuses. Apparently, his agent, Trish, still believed in him. He hopped a few more steps and warmly pawned his beautiful homeland, came into view. Frog watched as life rejoiced all around him. A fish leapt out of the water, creating a splash as if doing it only to remind everyone the freeze was over. A mother duck and her babies swam in figure eights. Frog felt a word drop itself into his mind as he surveyed this vivid landscape. The word was not serenity, nor was it desolation. The word was renewal. Each year, winter tricked everyone into believing it would last forever. But life always found a way to renew itself. The wheel of the seasons never stopped turning. Frog had tricked himself into believing his life's work was over, that his book was lost to the goats, to the past, frozen in time as a bygone dream. Frog took a deep breath and finally allowed spring to settle over him, fill his lungs, and renew his spirit. His next step 
was inevitable. Deep down, he'd known it from the very moment he'd seen the goats eating his manuscript. He'd been in denial throughout the winter, imagining there was another way, allowing his ego to overtake him. But there was no other way if he was to ever move forward. Frog did the only thing there was to do. He climbed onto the plateau of his boulder on the bank of the pond. He found his typewriter just where he'd left it. He eased it open for the first time in months and inserted a blank page. For a moment, he stared out at the pond and let the sounds and signs of life fill his senses, bowl him over. If the pond could emerge from the depths of winter, so could he from his own depths. He had to deal with the gaps in his memory. He had to deal with the fact that he could never quite understand how any magic emerged from a writing session, how it came about at all. He stared intently at the empty page. Then he took a deep breath and began. I lost a story once. I wrote it down on paper somewhere, and I never found it again. It was so frustrating. And I knew it was a good one. Really funny. Eventually, I accepted I would never find it. And I sat down and rewrote the entire thing. I know for sure it came out differently than the original. But it also came out just as good. That story was Mr. Beatles' story time. The creative process can feel like magic at times, and it can seem impossible to recapture things that have been lost. But if you have accomplished something once, you have evidence it can be done. And so you know you can do it again. To have evidence of what you are capable of, to counter the voice in your head that says you cannot do something, that's incredibly valuable. Try to build evidence of your abilities every day. The you of a month from now might need to see it. Little Stories for Tiny People is written, performed, and produced by me, Rhea Pector. My in-house tech director, Peter Kay, runs my website and puts my stories on the internet for all of you to enjoy. Thank you to Camden for the super important reminder message at the beginning. And thank you to Jana, Mayana, Phoenix, Evelyn, and Sloan for the awesome sound effects used in this story. And thank you, as always for listening in.